I hope you brought your Bible with you this morning. I would like to invite you to turn with me to John's Gospel. And if by chance you don't have a Bible with you, we've got Bibles in the pews. And John chapter 8, verse 12 is where we'll be. That's 918 as far as the page in our pew Bibles. And I want to begin reading in verse 12. And we'll read through verse 30. This will be a long section, longer than most that we read through in a Sunday. But it all fits together, and it's best that we take it in one piece. And after I finish reading, we'll ask for help. So let's read. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my Father. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, verse 21, I am going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, Will he kill himself? Since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above, you are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from Him. They did not understand that he had been talking about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word once again, together as a church family. With our Bibles open, we ask that you open our hearts, that you would play interference for us with all the things that would distract our thinking, that you could set those things aside for us for now. And that we would give you total jurisdiction of our hearts and our heads. 
so that in understanding this passage we may see where we might be wrong, where we don't know you like we think we do, where we haven't been obedient as we should have been. Lord, we ask that you make us more like yourself. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Well, I'd like to show you at the beginning here, just to give us some structure for uh, our study this morning. Let me show you what I believe to be the, the key of this passage, or at least the pivot where it seems that the thinking uh, takes a turn. A lot of times John, in writing his narrative, will build things up uh, to a climax and then they uh, resolve themselves, or it's just the opposite. It gets even more complicated and confusing. That's exactly what these people seem to be tangled in, is confusion. So let me show you what I believe is that key verse. It's verse 24 and about halfway through. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins. But here it is. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. That is what we call a proposition, propositional statement. Uh, it, it's something that is put forward as truth, and it's either true or it's not, but it calls upon you to make a decision. The Bible is full of these propositional statements. And really, it's right in line with what John's been doing from the beginning, because if you remember, we read the end at the beginning. And at the end, in chapter 20, verse 31, he's going to say, All of this is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and in believing, you might have life in His name. That's a propositional statement. So this is right in line with what John told us he had done. And we'll be looking at the prologue a bit too, what he gave us as far as a map at the very beginning of the book, the first 18 verses. But just as John has told us to expect, Jesus is laying out these claims and giving us these propositional statements. Unless you believe, you will die in your sins. Now that's usually where our culture, where sinful humanity will, will back up. Uh, not so fast. I don't know that I like a propositional statement like that. And then usually the heat is on churches, Christians individually speaking, uh, to walk certain things like that back. Um, I'm not so sure our culture hasn't developed quite an acute allergy to propositional statements. Uh, they'd rather just let everybody do what they want to do. But the point of it is this. Whether it's culturally acceptable to think that we could live in a world like that, that's not the way reality works. We live within propositional statements where things are true. Um, there are certain things that you know to be true or false about the person that you chose to live the rest of your life with, right? And there are specific things about them that make them who they are. We might want to say things like, you know what, this, uh, this Christianity thing, it, it really isn't a religion at all. It's just a relationship. That's a propositional statement, but it's a, at a certain point, a reckless one. 
we do need certain things that tell us who Jesus is, what he expects of us, why he came to this earth, and that he expects that we believe it or else we'll die in our sins. At some point, we have to get to that point. I just said point with point, but I think you know what I mean. If you were to describe something that's important to you or even a restaurant that has a really good something or another, you'd have to give directions, a description, hours that they're open, what it costs to buy that said something or another, right? We need those things, same as we need them with Scripture. So even though it might be uncomfortable, at a certain point it comes down to what you decide to do with Jesus. And these folks right here are wrapped up right in the middle of it. So the overarching mood of what we read here and what we've been reading in chapter 7 and even through most of chapter 6 has been misunderstanding. It seems Jesus talks and people get confused. It just seems to, to be the, the thing that John wants to make us most aware of. And what's very interesting is that it seems the more central and significant the truth that Jesus is communicating, the greater the misunderstanding. And we just read that he said, what's he going to do? He's going to kill himself? Where's he going that he says, we can't come? That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about them killing him. But that's not anywhere near what they think in their minds, and neither would we. So let's organize what we'll study here in the next few minutes around uh, at least four points of discussion, because that's what this is, is a long, ongoing conversation. And I'll give you four points. There, are, there could be 10 or 40 or 400. There's a lot here, but these will help us at least organize what we're looking at. And the first, we'll just take it right out of the, the first verse that we looked at, verse 12. Jesus is the light of the world. That's point number one. And this is actually the second I am statement. John's going to use seven I am statements that Jesus gives us. He already gave us the first. I'm the bread of life. This is the second. I'm the light of the world. We'll see others. Uh, I'm the, the gate or the door. Uh, I'm the vine. Uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. There are more of these I am statements to come, but this is the second. And if you were here last week, uh, there's one thing I want to show you. If you weren't, um, this might not necessarily mean as much to you. But last week we looked at the first 11 verses of chapter 8, the passage known as the woman caught in adultery. And we talked about how most of your translations have a note as to where some of the older, better manuscripts don't have it where we have it. And how that others thought it went a different place in the Bible. Be that as it may, if, if that's the case then what we're reading in verse 12 actually backs up to the 37th verse of John 7. So if we were going to read into this, I am the light of the world statement, to back the truck up just a bit and attach it to what he had said previously before he said, I am the light of the world, it would look something like this. If we started reading in verse 37, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Then John explains, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive in the future. 
For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And then in verse 40 down through 52 is a reaction to what he said. It was a big reaction, because to say, if anyone thirsts, he should come to me, was quite an audacious statement. If you remember two weeks ago, that's a lot to ask, isn't it? Remember two sermons ago. Well, what we were talking about then was the Feast of Tabernacles. And how for seven days, this was a big deal, the most popular and, and at times the most uh, widely attended feast out of the calendar year. And they watched for seven days this man go to the Pool of Siloam, get water, bring it back to the temple and pour it into this special basin. And then at the end of it, you've got this man who cries out loud, standing up. All of that that you've been doing for centuries, that's all about me. But then it gets worse because after they have their reaction, well then if eight is not where it's supposed to be, the next thing we would read is verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. What I didn't mention two weeks ago, in addition to the water ceremony that they did at the Feast of Tabernacles, and this is likely, again, the very next day, the Feast of Tabernacles, or maybe the same day, they had a lighting ceremony, these big, huge torches in the temple complex. And people, it tells us in the Mishnah, would go up these big ladders and fill them with oil, and they would light them at night. And they would light up the entire courtyard of the temple complex. And the temple uh, musicians would play, and the people would dance, and it was a huge thing. So after Jesus says, all that stuff about water, I'm here to fulfill, it's, it's really all about me. All that stuff about the light is actually pointing to me too. In fact, I'm the ultimate source of light. It's me. And we, we talked about it then. It is the audacity of saying all of that that you've been doing for centuries is right here. All of that is this. I fulfill it all. So to say that that's a small thing. He's adding an audacious statement to another audacious statement. So we can assume to see the same disagreement and discussion uh, ensue at the end of it. So if this is all this how it works up and it adds together, that's exactly what he's claiming. Not only to be their thirst quencher, but the light of the world. But that's not all he said. Let's, let's finish out the, the sentence, or the verse, the second sentence of that verse, verse 12. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now this is where I wanted you to turn back to the prologue. So have your finger there in John... 8 where we are and then just back up to chapter 1 shouldn't be but a few pages and as we discussed this is our road map of what to expect through the rest of the 20 chapters this is the prologue verse 1 in the beginning was the word that's Jesus and the word was with God and the word was God he was in the beginning with God all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made verse 4 in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John begins with this 
somewhere out there, uh, cosmic backdrop to this, this timeless God who's been with God forever, but he's going to become the light of men, and the darkness won't have anything to say about it. Well, put that up against what we just read. I am the light of the world. Well, John said he was. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but I will have the light of life. So both places, and keep a finger in John 1. We go back to John 8, because we'll come back to John 1 one more time before we finish. If you look at it up against verse 12 of chapter 8, both places, light and life, are closely connected. And here... We have more information. Whoever follows Jesus is delivered from the darkness. And to have Jesus is to have light and to have life. And not to walk in darkness. So we're adding themes upon themes here. We're building a case if anyone is listening. Okay? Now John told us that in the prologue. He's writing the story. So we go from what we're, we understand as the reader to this, 2,000 some years later, back to the scene where these Pharisees are having this real conversation with the Jesus who's just offended half the people, oh, more than half, practically anyone who could listen. Verse 13, and this is point number two. His testimony is true. Not only is he the light of the world, but his testimony is true. Verse 13, so the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Your translation may have is not true. Not valid is what they mean by that. Because what they're looking at or thinking like is this is judicial proceedings. To convict someone, you need the testimony of two, not just one. So he says he's the light of the world and they respond by saying, You're bearing witness about yourself. It's not valid. And really, what they're saying is the same as anybody else says when they don't necessarily buy what's being handed them, right? Says who? Isn't that what you do? And you learn that on the playground? Elegant way of saying your testimony is unsubstantiated. (laughs) Says who? I'm going to need more than just you telling me you're the light of the world. I know who you are. You're Joseph's son. We went to carpenter class together. They know this guy. It's obnoxious to them to hear that. So they have a real big problem, a real big hang-up with someone who looks and acts and talks just like any other man is saying things that would put him on the level of a god. So yes, they're going to start out by saying, you're going to need something to back that up. Jesus answered them in verse 14. Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, or it is real. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from and where I'm going. So what does he mean by that? He's basically saying, I know things that you can't know the same way that I know. And that's very true. Uh, If they're thinking about this in a human standpoint, okay, yeah, we do know where he came from. Mary, but maybe not even Joseph. They'll bring that up later. And then some of them know that he's from Bethlehem, but some of them don't. 
and where he's going. They're going to get confused with that later, but he's not talking about his Ancestry.com record. He's talking about the fact that he came from heaven. He's God and he's going back to heaven. And that's something they'll never understand. It's something me and you will never understand like he understands it. We have to wrestle with those things by faith and by what he reveals to us in scripture about those things. But none of us have ever been to heaven. Though we all hope to go there at some point. So he's trying to tell them... We're failing to communicate here. You don't know where I'm from and you don't know where I'm going. I know things about things that you can't ever know. There's, there's a big gap between them. That's basically what verse 14 is saying. Now if you skip on down to verse 17, in your law, this is Jesus speaking, your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true or valid. That, that supports a case. That's admissible in court. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. And uh, you remember how that went? When he was baptized in the river, wasn't it his Father who spoke? This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. And then later, there's going to be a transfiguration that his inner circle of the, the uh, disciples are going to see. Things that no person has ever seen quite like that. And God the Father is going to bear witness of his Son. And then there's one that would come after that, that the whole world is going to get to see and is still talking about. That's the way in which this father bears witness about the son. But they said to him, therefore, they must have missed it there in the river when he's baptized. Where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And this is the point where you want to just say, stop messing around with me and just answer the question. You know how that would be aggravating to people. But he has every right to say that. They don't know completely who he is. And they don't know his father like they think they do. That's their problem. Propositional statement. But they don't know that that's their problem. Jesus says that the testimony of two witnesses is their law. That's the way you establish the truth. Or a credible witness. You get the multiplicity of accounts that add up. Kind of like before you decide to do something really big. You get a multitude of counselors to make sure it's a good idea. That's the way you humans put things together. But I'm not bound to that type of thing. Even though me and my father actually add up to the criterion you're talking about. But you don't credit us for that. Best thing I know to try to... To illustrate what this might be like, imagine a boy who gets an ant farm for Christmas. And I don't think you can even get those anymore. We had one when we were little. We had to mail off for the ants. And it was after Christmas, so when the ants got to us in this little tube, they were real slow because they'd, they'd been out in the cold. And after a while, they began to dig and make their tunnels, but something went wrong with the way we fed them or... or watered them. I think they died from a flood. I'm not sure. <laughs> but how do you suppose you would describe the, the difference between the ability of the boy who owns the ant farm and the ant farm to communicate with one another? 
um, make it interesting. Let's just say the boy had the capacity to himself become an ant and go live in the ant farm. That might help, right? But other than that, there's probably no way. It's exactly what's going on here on a much grander scale. The only hope we're ever going to have of knowing who God is and what He expects of us is through His Son coming and telling us, which is what Jesus is doing. John tells us, kind of whispering in the background, these words He spoke in the treasury as He taught in the temple, but no one arrested Him because His hour had not yet come. So He doesn't tell us how the arrest was prevented, just that it didn't happen and why it didn't happen because it wasn't time. And then seemingly picking right up where he left off, but we don't have a, a specific time stamp, just a sequence marker, he said to them again, which means this had already been said, but he's saying this after what he said that we just read. Verse 21, I'm going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. The sin is singular there. And that is the sin of their unbelief. We know that by just measuring up the context here. And this is point number three. He's the light of the world, number one. His testimony is true, number two. Number three, if you don't believe him, you'll be lost. He goes on to say, where I'm going, you cannot come. And this is where the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come. That was the second time. He had said he was going away and they couldn't come. But this is a different conclusion they came to than the first crowd. That was back in chapter 7 verse 34 where it says, You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am you cannot come. And the people say, Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks? Oh, he's going to go preach to the Greeks. This crowd says, Oh, I guess he's going to kill himself. But at this point you can almost just conclude. It really seems that whatever Jesus says... Their takeaway ranks up there with about the dumbest thing you could think of. Maybe not going to the Greeks because that's actually where he'll send his apostles to go. That's, that's the book of Acts. But that he'll kill himself? Is this just the way these people talk? You know, I've, I've, I've been uh, in the company of, of many uh, uh, secularized uh, Jewish person in Washington, D.C. each year when I'd go for the APEC conference. And uh, I've seen the way they talk around the table. And it would seem that arguing is their national sport. And if you think our government is, is kind of tangled up, go look at their parliament. It really is a shouting match. Maybe this is just the way they talk. They overemphasize or exaggerate things just to make a point. That's really not what they're thinking, but it just sounds ridiculous and they think what he's saying is ridiculous, so they just make that kind of thing up. That might be one way it is. Or maybe it's just uh, like the ant farm. They're on another planet, and they don't get what he's saying. I think that might be the best option. Look at verse 23. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. They are on a different planet. And this verse boils down to Him just saying, you're going to have to trust me. 
or not. And I'm going to tell you up front what will happen if you don't. You say, that's quite the propositional statement. It is. And I think that's where things seem to hinge. Because so far in this passage, we've got this monstrous claim of Jesus to be the light of the world. We've got a discussion about how such a claim could be supported. And it seems they're rejecting it. Then we've got this obvious inability of the Jews to comprehend Jesus' explanation of the support for his statement. And all of that is leading up to this very plain, black and white, simply articulated, propositional statement. You believe or you will die in your sins. Now let's back up, take a time out for just one second because I think this will help. What is Jesus actually claiming to be that precipitated this entire argument and what seems to be utter confusion on the part of the Pharisees who are listening? He has claimed to be the light of the world. Now, he's God, so he's basically everything, but he's not saying literally, all I am is light, which is tough even for the scientists to figure out if it's you know, a, a, a particle or a wave. That was always tough to try to understand that in science class, only to have the scientists tell you, we don't really know how light works. But here's what I like about this argument and how I think it can help us where it, it didn't seem to help them. Light is one of the things in the creative order of this planet that God gave us, spoke into existence. Go back to Genesis. He created the light uh, to, to rule the day, the darkness, night. Light is one of the things in this created world that does not need a witness. It just shines. And you don't ever ask anybody. You suppose that light is on? I don't know if it's on. Can you tell me if it's on? Is that light on? Do we need any evidence to support the claim that that light is on and shining? It's on. Or the sun, is it on? It's on and it's shining. And later tonight, it'll be on the other side of the planet. We won't get to see it, but it'll still be on. Until it burns out, the scientists tell us. I know, we've learned that in this book too. But it doesn't need a witness. It just shines, Right? Now, if you can't see the light, what does that mean? You're blind. Blind people can't see the light. They would need a witness. That's exactly why Jesus is here. He's not only the light, but he's the witness. The light is the witness. He shines. And because he shines, we get to see the characteristics of the Father. There's life in that light. There's understanding in that light. That light will dispel the darkness. There's so much here by way of, of type, symbol, illustration. It's huge. But these men don't see it. Does Jesus just walk off? No. He continues with them and he gives them a little bit more. Even though the light should suffice, it should shine and they should see it. So they say to him, who are you? You can almost hear the tone change in their discussion with him. 
Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. How many times do we have to go through this? I've been telling you this from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. John tells us they didn't understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus says to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. For some of you, you won't get it until then. Then it'll come together. What will? When you have lifted up the Son of Man. There's three times he says this in the book of John. Once he said it already with Nicodemus. Talking about when Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, Son of Man should be lifted up. And then later in uh, chapter 12, he's going to say the same thing. And then that he will draw all men to himself. We know what he's talking about. He's talking about the crucifixion. They don't know what he's talking about yet. So how can they know until they see it? But this is mystery upon mystery. Lifted up sounds like being exalted. When really all it is is to be lifted up as a spectacle and an excruciating death. But in doing so, paying for the sins of the world. By becoming obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every tongue should confess. That's what's going on here. So, number four, if you, you want all four of these you will see him clearly when you see him crucified. Let's just try to add all this up for a minute. Until you see Jesus as the crucified sacrifice for your sins, you will never see him as he is. That's what Jesus is saying. So he says to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. Right? Go back to that propositional statement verse 24 you might want to put your finger on both of them I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he you will die in your sins when you have lifted up the son of man then you will know that I am he if you don't believe that I am he you're lost but you'll know that I am he when I'm crucified so for the person that says, I don't want to die in my sins, what do I do? Look at the cross. Not unlike Moses in the wilderness. They've been bitten by snakes and they're all going to die. He basically says, look at this and you'll be saved. Life for a look. This is the light of the world. Look. His testimony is true. It shines from one end of the planet to the other for those who have eyes to see. And His words are there for those who have ears to hear. Now let me try to tell you why I think these people are so confused and why people all over our planet are confused. It just happens to be what's ailing them at the moment. But with this group, they weren't looking for the Messiah to hang on a cross. They were looking for the Messiah to free them from Rome. He didn't fit what they were looking for. So they passed on the offer. That's basically how it works. There are churches all across this land selling Jesus as some sort of a life coach to make you be the best you can be. 
That's not why I came. So continuing to look for him in that vein will only wind up with you confused. Just as they were confused. Uh, Jesus is not just a moral teacher to help you scrub your self-image. To keep you on the straight and narrow. That's part of it. But that's not the reason he came. We continue to look at him the wrong way and then wonder why we're confused. And he's not a life enhancement, as some of the prosperity gospel would teach, to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. That might be part of it, so you can give it to somebody else, but that's not the reason why he came. He told it as clearly as it could be told, and his introduction is one of my favorites. Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He's a lamb, a sacrificial lamb to be slaughtered in your place. He's here for your sin. Until you're ready to give it up in exchange for his righteousness, you'll never see him as he's meant to be seen. You'll always be confused. You won't know him and you won't know his father. He'll even make it more clean or clear. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the father but by me. It's like he's being forced to just needle down and make it more clear and more specific. But it's all an ultimatum. What are you going to do with me? I'm here and I'll save you. But you've got to believe me or you'll die in your sins. It's that clear. So we began with a propositional statement. Unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. And we end with a promise. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am he. And I think it fits well with the way the Father, the second witness, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And then at the transfiguration, and then finally, at the resurrection. I'm satisfied with what he's done. To the extent that I will raise him from the dead. Which Paul would say is how we know, an indisputable fact. He is risen. He's risen indeed. So the case has been laid out. And the early adopters, it seems, are getting on board. Look at verse 30. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. Maybe that's the John 2 type of belief. Maybe it's the better type of belief. We don't know. John doesn't seem to be specifically telling. But I think that's enough for our purposes this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for a conversation between Pharisees and the light of the world. And Lord, we ask that you give us the capacity to see the light shine, to dispel the darkness morally, to dispel the darkness of ignorance, that we wouldn't be ignorant, as Paul would say. Lord, I ask that you bless those that are here for this study. Lord, for those that have believed in you for decades, but who need a piece of encouragement, maybe to gaze at that awful sight of your crucifixion, which says once for all that our sins have been paid for. Even though we make mistakes, And we hopefully keep short sin accounts. We're forgiven. 
We can be encouraged in that. We can encourage each other in that. Or maybe for the person who's trying all this on for the first time, they're still thinking, they're evaluating. They should. You gave us a brain to do this. But Lord, that you, like in chapter 6, told us needs to happen, that the Father would draw them to unravel this mystery and to make it plain and to make it clear. And Lord, that they would believe that you are He, the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Lord, use your word to change hearts. We thank you for this truth. We ask all this in your precious name. Amen.